Hello, my happies. Hello, my happies. Hello, my happy friends, friends, friends. How you doing, happy innovators? How you doing this week, huh? Things going well? Are you getting all of your work done? You know, I'm sitting here with my cup of coffee really early in the morning, you know, take a sip. And you know what? I got to tell you, even though I just woke up, I woke up very early and I kind of went to bed a little bit too late. I am exhausted. I'm like tired. You know, I could fall asleep right now, but can't do that. Can't do that. But I want to. And I certainly could right now, but it brings me to this idea that I've been thinking about lately. Um, you know, the idea of sleep and how important it is to our happiness and our health, even. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, that's what the weekends are for, right? To catch up on your sleep. And it's like, we live in a culture where I mean, I'm sure it's the same all over the world where, you know, people just are forced really into a lifestyle where they don't get enough sleep. And, uh, you know, you have all these scientists and stuff talking about it, you know, the importance of sleep and how it's actually medicine for your body. You know, we really require eight hours or six hours of sleep every night. And you know, sleep is kind of like a mysterious thing, isn't it? I mean, what is that all about? You know, like we, we go into this zone every day where we kind of shut down, you know, our bodies shut down and our brain uh, is still active and everything, but uh, our body requires this downtime, this, this computer, this machine that is our brain requires this rest period, you know? And I've kind of found just, you know, by living a life that most of the people I know and interact with or whatever are probably sleep deprived. You know, they're not getting enough rest. And uh, my wife and I just recently stumbled across this uh, video on YouTube once again. And it was a documentary film about sleep. And they were talking about, you know, the different aspects of sleep and the history of dreaming and recording dreams and all those things. And that's cool. That's interesting and fascinating and all that. But there was another part of this documentary where they showed these scientists that were doing an experiment with these little babies. And what they did was they had like maybe 10 different babies and we're talking like not even toddlers like they were infants like very very young and of course you know the families the mothers and fathers were present for this experiment and what they were doing was uh, they would have an adult show this baby okay show one of the babies a series of hand gestures okay and they did the same hand gestures for every baby and there were like 10 of them like I said okay now, for like five of the babies, they allowed them to fall asleep immediately after uh, they were shown the hand gestures. And then for the other five, they made them stay awake. 
And then they tried the test again to see if the babies could mimic what they were doing and if they could remember what they were shown, okay? And the five babies that slept, that were able to sleep immediately after being given the hand signals and after learning them, uh, they wound up retaining the knowledge and the, the hand gestures. They were able to repeat them better than the other five who were required to stay awake. And the conclusion was, I guess, of this experiment was that after we have taken in a lot of information, like maybe throughout the course of a day, or maybe you have a job that's particularly technical and it requires you to process like large amounts of data, you will need to sleep in order to fully process all of that information, okay? Like when our brains are really active throughout the day, we're required that sleep in order to kind of decompress and allow that information to be fully processed by our brains. Like our brain, as powerful as it is and as much information as it has and as much function as it has, requires that downtime. Now, when we don't get that downtime, you gotta ask some serious questions like, you know, well, one, does it have an effect on your health? And does it have an effect on your cognizance, right? I mean, I would imagine that it does. And according to these scientists in this documentary I watched, it's extremely important. You know, sleep is such a major and necessary thing. And the bottom line is we probably, none of us, none of us that are listening to this podcast right now, myself included, do not get enough sleep every day. Of course, I'm saying this as I'm drinking a large cup of coffee and I just woke up in the morning and I really, really just want to lay down and go to sleep. I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't get enough. I can tell I'm half of myself right now. But um, anyway, that's uh, food for thought now, isn't it? You know, the importance of sleep. Oh man, if you have the opportunity, you should probably sleep as much as you possibly can. Get as much rest, let your body, let your brain relax and do its thing, you know? Because that's amazing, isn't it? Like even after we fall asleep, we're not conscious, but our brain is still going, man. It's still doing something, you know? It makes me kind of think about that whole artificial intelligence thing, you know, the movement for AI and everything. They talk about how they're trying to, you know, make a computer version of the human brain. Man, I don't know. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I mean, they might be able to make a computer that can process large amounts of data like that our brain couldn't or whatever, but they'll never make something as complicated as the human brain. I don't think so. So anyway, I wanted to share a little story with you that I think is kind of funny. It's not really important or anything. It's just, you know, a funny little story. But a long time ago, man, probably about 10 years ago now, or even longer than that, 
um, my wife and I had decided we wanted to try our hand at gardening, you know. So I went ahead and, like, you know, sectioned off a piece of our property that was maybe 15 feet by 15 feet, like a little square, you know. And I made a fence around it and everything because where we live, there's a lot of wild animals and stuff. And, you know, you have to kind of put a fence up around your garden. Otherwise, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon for like deer to be able to like jump into your garden and you know clear it out and then jump out. So you have to kind of make a fence that's a little bit taller. And, um, you know, we have all kinds of animals that come through. So um, I put this fence up around our garden and we had our garden and everything was great. And we did it that way for maybe a couple of seasons, you know, a couple of summers. We would grow vegetables like tomatoes, really great heirloom tomatoes and carrots and corn. And uh, what else did we grow? scallions we grew pumpkins I mean it was really a nice little setup and we maybe had like three different varieties of tomatoes and stuff and the property that we were gardening on had previously been a horse farm if you can imagine that so the soil that we were planting in was probably the most fertile soil we'll ever see in our lifetime and this garden just kicked ass. I mean, it just had like, you know, so much good food coming out and was generating so much good food. And it was like, because the soil was robust and everything. And in typical, you know, Mike Bostwick fashion, I decided, well, okay, we got a 15 by 15 garden right now. What if next summer I go ahead and make the garden bigger? Like, let's go bigger, you know? So I did, you know, I turned over all the soil. I, you know, took the fence down that I had made and kind of amended it with this new larger fence that I was making. So we went from a 15 foot by 15 foot patch to probably about, and I'm not kidding, 40 to 60 foot, okay? I went big and, you know, I paid attention to details like, um, digging like a little trench around the perimeter of the fence and filling it with rocks and then covering that with dirt so that, you know, rabbits couldn't dig under the fence and get into the garden, right? You follow me? So, you know, it took me about two months to get this fence up and done and get it ready for summer and everything. And so I finished the fence, right? <laughs> and this is why I'm bringing it up because I think it's really funny to me, you know, after spending months of, you know, back breaking, you know, 90 degree days, you know, digging this garden and getting the fence set and getting everything ready, right? I sit down on my porch, the work is done, have a big old tall glass of something cold to drink and just sit on the porch, admiring my work. And lo and behold, right in front of my eyes, this tiny, tiny little bunny rabbit hops up to the edge of the fence, kind of like sniffs a little bit, and then it just bops right through the fence, right into the garden. <laughs> like I'm sitting there watching it. I just finished all this work. And sure enough, this little bunny goes bouncing into my garden. <laughs> That's the story of my life, man. <laughs> but uh, 
I did remedy that problem immediately by just getting a little bit of chicken wire and running that along the very base of that fence that I had made and we were all set, but isn't that funny? Like, you know, I did all this work and due diligence and making sure I paid attention to all the details, trying to make it foolproof. And, you know, I'm not even finished with it for an hour. <laughs> this little rabbit just bounces right in there. Hilarious. Anyway, you know, not too long ago, my wife and I uh, stumbled across this video of this man named Jordan Peterson. I've talked about him before. Uh, he's a really good speaker. You know, he's kind of uh, challenging a lot of different things, a lot of different ideas. But and I know here in America, he's a very political or politicized character. But in my house, not so much. I don't really care about the politics. I care more about his insights, you know, he's a very intelligent person and a clinical psychologist, uh, you know, you can Google him, look him up, or if you haven't heard of him already, you know, he's on the top of the bestsellers list and, you know, with his new book and what is it, 12 Rules for Life. And it's just kind of like, you know, he's kind of a guru for people nowadays in a way like, um, for, especially for younger people who are trying to kind of sort their lives out and kind of figure out which direction to take in their life, you know. Um, so we stumbled across this video by him and we've watched many, many, many videos of his and they're all worth watching, okay. But he was talking about this idea of encouragement, you know, and it really got me to thinking about it a lot, you know. Like, um, basically what he was kind of saying was that most of the people that he meets that come up to him and there are many, many people, you know, that revere him as like a hero, you know, he saved their lives. He changed their lives with his information and with his suggestions, you know, um, he's a very intelligent, wise man, you know, and people, wow. when they get a little taste of wisdom from somebody, they hold it real close because it, it's really hard to find, you know? And uh, he's one of those people, in my opinion. Anyway, he was saying that most of the people that he meets, like when he does a public speaking engagement or anything like any kind of book signings or anything, uh, he feels that most of the people that he meets don't ever really get enough encouragement from the people that are around them. Now think about that, you know, and it actually, you know, while Jordan Peterson is explaining this to this person that he's talking to, you know, that most of the people he meets have never gotten a lot of encouragement from other people in their lives. You know, it brings tears to his eyes, you know, because like his message is encouraging people, you know, he wants to give them confidence and, you know, help them kind of get their lives in order, you know. Because sometimes people need a little bit of help like that, myself included, you know, um, it's, it's necessary, you know, it's a necessary thing, you know, to get your life in order, right? Sometimes you need a little bit of encouragement. And I thought about that, like who in my life was encouraging me, you know, because, you know, my wife asked me not too long ago. In fact, we were kind of asking each other, really, 
you know, what motivates you to do what you're doing? You know, like, um, you know, I can speak for myself, okay, um, that ever since I was really young, you know, uh, when I say really young, I mean like five years old, you know, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I mean, I really did. I was single-minded ever since I was little. And, you know, I knew I wanted to be a musician. That's what I wanted to do. It's what I could do. And my wife asked me kind of like, why did you choose that? You know? And I had to think about it for a little while because, you know, I wasn't quite sure, but I did think about it. And the conclusion I came to was this, that music was really the only thing in my life that when I did it, the response that I got from people was positive, you know? Like, okay, it became very clear to me after watching people react to what I was doing when I was making music, uh, in this case, drums, playing the drums. Whenever I played the drums, I got a reaction from people, right? And the reaction was one of like, wow, you're really good, okay? So that was a form of encouragement, right? So maybe that's why I chose it, you know, because it was the one thing I could do that nobody else could do. And it got me attention, right? And it got me, uh, and that acknowledgement from my peers, my friends, was encouraging to me. Okay, like this is something I can do, right? And. You know, as we thought about it and talked about it, you know, my wife and I, uh, you know, I I never really have ever had to be told, you know, Mike, you need to like get busy and make music. Like it was just always something I did. (laughs) You know, I was self-motivated and not just with music. I mean, with lots of things, but um, with music, I never had to be told, you know, I never had to be forced to do it. It was just something I always did. And that's kind of strange, isn't it? Even as a little kid, like I didn't have to be prompted. It was just something I was drawn to and I did it, you know? It's kind of a cool thing to think about. And, you know, okay, so yeah, in the early days, you know, when I first was figuring out that I could play music or make music and the reaction I got from people was positive, you know, well, that's that's good for like how I got started. But what made me keep going, <laughs> you know, for 40 years? Like, what is the motivation here? You know, and to be honest with you, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know. I don't. I like to make music, right? you know, but, you know, when I was younger, um, I have this memory, you know, of this contest we had at my school and it was a painting contest and all the kids in my class, my art class at my school would paint a picture and then the teachers of the school would judge the paintings and they would pick one that they thought was the strongest and the one that was the strongest 
would win an award, okay? And the prize was like whoever won this painting contest, they would be able to take their parents, you know, three tickets to Blossom Music Center to watch the Cleveland Orchestra perform at Blossom Music Center and the painting they did along with paintings from other schools in the area that had a similar contest would be displayed on the property of Blossom Music Center for all of the people to see, okay? And of course the orchestra would be playing and it included like a dinner and all this kind of stuff, right? So I just did a painting, that's all I did. You know, I just did a painting and I won. <laughs> My painting won, you know? And uh, that was a form of encouragement, right? You know, like, I guess I don't think about it too much anymore because I don't really consider myself like a really great painter, okay? Although I, I have a few pieces that I've worked on that I'm really proud of and I have them in my house and some of them I've sold. I actually did have a gallery opening once of my paintings, you know, and I sold some. Um, but I never really regarded myself as like a painter. But after talking to my wife about this and, you know, watching this Jordan Peterson thing, I kind of got to thinking, you know, you know, maybe I am, maybe I am a painter. Maybe I should be devoting more time to it. And you know, now that I'm thinking about it, actually, uh, a few years back, I had the idea of kind of like, um, not just painting, okay, but taking um, like trash, like the recyclable stuff and things like uh, old computer parts and stuff like that, that I had laying around. And, uh, you know, I started to generate like three dimensional art, almost like sculptures, I guess, out of these pieces of garbage, you know, and, uh, I have a few of those too, you know, it's kind of a fun experiment, like taking, you know, uh, you know, plastic bottles and, uh, different forms of plastics and melting them with a heating gun and pulling them like taffy, you know, and stretching it and uh, making it bubble and burning it and, you know, kind of sculpting it with heat, like onto like a piece of wood or something and making these three dimensional pieces, you know. And then uh, I also, now that I'm thinking about it, um, I started to experiment with casting, you know, like casting my face, casting my hands within plaster and, you know, making like uh, art out of these castings that I made. So I got a few of those kicking around too. Um, so it's not really just painting, I guess, that I'm talking about. It's more just, you know, art and, you know, music is a form of art, but it's not quite the same as making something that's visual, you know? So maybe it's time for me to get into that, you know? It's usually kind of like a winter thing, I guess. My wife always says that to me anyway. Like, when the snow starts to fly, she'll go, oh, it's time for you to do your painting. You know, it's painting season, you know? But um, the more I think about it, the more I think I might get into it again, like now, you know? I might do it now, you know? kind of got the itch a little bit, but like, you know, I have so much stuff that I'm doing 
and so much stuff that needs to get done. Like I can't get enough of it done in a day. So I don't know, maybe that's why, you know, it's easier for me to kind of set that kind of artistic thing aside, you know, and focus on the tasks at hand. But I don't know, you know, maybe there's uh, some value in that. I have to kind of think about that a little bit more, you know. Maybe you're the same way, you know, maybe you do things that are creative and it's done like in seasons, you know, or you have a certain time or a certain environment you need to be in. And oh my gosh, isn't that the most important thing, you know, uh, is your environment when you're a creative person and you're making things like music or art or anything like that. At least as far as I'm concerned, the environment is everything, you know. You have to have the right mood and the right feeling and the right lighting and the right room and the right motivation, you know, and apparently, you know, the right encouragement, you know, and, uh, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, when I was, you know, my, when my wife asked me, like, what motivates you to keep doing all this stuff you're doing? Like, it's why are you drawn to this? Why do you gravitate towards the music all the time. I mean, it's even like, you know, when I'm supposed to be doing something else, I always make time to come into my studio and do something, you know, no matter what's going on, no matter where I am. Even when I went to Las Vegas, I had to have something I was doing that would contribute to the work I was doing when I got back home. You know, like I was always doing something, always adding to it, always capitalizing on every opportunity you know, to, to have something to build off of or use somehow to pull into uh, the music, you know. That's something that's kind of like a, a realization I came to a long time ago. And I've talked to my wife about it a lot. And it's like almost like a compulsion, like, um, like everything I see, everything that comes into my sphere, I evaluate it like, how can I use this with what I'm doing? Like, how can I pull this into the music somehow? I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. If we go to a restaurant, if we go to a movie, uh, to have a conversation with someone or, um, you know, any, anything, anything. It's just my brain automatically goes, okay, how can I use this? How can I use this? What, what's it good for? <laughs> and, you know, most of the time, it's not good for anything. So I just kind of like, you know, forget about it. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like this compulsion to just, you know, like it's so important to me, you know? So everything I see, everything I do, I somehow, how can I work this in? What can I use this for? What would it be good for? You know, like I'll be walking through a store, a, a thrift store, and I'll be looking at everything and looking like, what can I use this for? Like, how can I make this into something for the robot videos that I make? Or how can I use this for something I'm recording or whatever? You know, like it's, it's my nature, you know, um, kind of a fun thing to think about, you know, I don't know. Is it the same for you? <laughs> is it the same for you? You know, is it, uh, you know, is your creative endeavor, whatever it is, you happy innovators, you know, is it, um, you know, is it something that's in the front of your mind at all times? Is it, is it the center? You know, is your creative energy like the center of your existence? Like it is for me. And man, I'm not even saying that like in a 
braggadocio way. I mean, it's just an acknowledgement of truth, you know, that uh, it's just, it's my existence, you know? Oh, what a strange life, the life of a musician. You know, it's one of those things like people will talk about it and uh, you know, over the years, I've had many, many conversations with people about it. And most of the people that I talk to are not musicians. They're not creative. They're not doing anything like that. So there's this tendency to think that the grass is like greener on my side of the fence. Like what a life I have and, oh, you know, all that. But what they don't realize is that a lot of the time I admire what they're doing. And, you know, I tend to think that the grass is greener on their side of the fence, you know. It's a strange thing, um, but things are tough all over. It doesn't matter what you're doing or who you are or whatever, you know. Life is hard and it's supposed to be and uh, good things come from hard work and struggle and sacrifice, right? These are all the precepts of Jordan Peterson, by the way, you know, this idea of sacrifice, you know, because um, you can't have it all. You know, you can't have it all. Actually, that kind of reminds me. <laughs> okay, one more story I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, this is funny. My wife and I were watching this film about squirrels, you know, because uh, <laughs> my wife and like her friends, okay, um, they do this thing where they'll be in a conversation with someone, right? And if somebody gets like distracted from the conversation, they'll say a squirrel, you know, like they'll make a joke, like they're being distracted by this squirrel off in the distance, you know? Um, so my wife and I, you know, type into YouTube, you know, squirrels, you know, the life of squirrels or something. We just wanted to learn about them one night, you know, just for the hell of it. And uh, <laughs> so we found this documentary film about squirrels, of course, because you can find anything on YouTube, right? Except for, you know, Descent and, uh, you know, Flat Earth Movement. <laughs> you can find squirrels, but you can't find, you know, certain political issues. <laughs> this is the world we live in. <laughs> so anyway, we're watching this, this documentary on squirrels, right? And, uh, they have this guy on the show and he has a squirrel living in his house. Okay. So he's like a, a squirrel expert. He's a doctor. He's devoted his life to, you know, the study of the behavior patterns of squirrels. And he has one in his house and this thing's climbing around on him while he's being interviewed, you know? And uh, he's talking about, oh, you know, my friends come over. They're a little bit intimidated by this thing because it's running free in my house. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> bad idea. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I turn to my wife and I, you know, I say, you know, this guy's single, right? You realize he's not married, you know, but he's got a squirrel running around in his house. And uh, I said to her, which I thought was pretty funny, um, you can't have it both ways. You know, you have to make a choice. You're either going to have a wife <laughs> or you're going to have a squirrel. You can't have both. <laughs> I suppose, you know, it's not entirely true because in some ways, you know, being a musician and devoting your life to music like I have, you know, is kind of like having a squirrel in the house. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, it's true, isn't it? It's true. It's a form of a squirrel in my house. Um, you know, my wife and I always, you know, make the joke, you know, jokingly, at least I'm joking when I say it. We refer to my music career as like my spinning plates. You know, she married this. <laughs> she married a guy who spins plates. <laughs> You gotta love that woman, man. She is. She just puts up with so much stuff, you know, over the years. Oh, <laughs> she'll be able to write a book when it's all over. You know, just the different things that, you know, these different ideas that I've hatched over the years, you know, like anything from, you know, making songs to, you know, 3D garbage sculptures. <laughs> You know, casting my face in plaster. You know, my wife is the one <laughs> who actually helps me with this stuff. You know, it's like Wallace and Gromit, you know. You know, yeah, we actually joke about that too. Like, I'll refer to her as Gromit, you know. Like she's <laughs> my compadre, like my, <laughs> you know, when I need help, you know, uh, making a plaster cast of my face. <laughs> She gets recruited, you know. <laughs> uh, see, that's love. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, love that girl. Anyway, I suppose this is probably a good time to sign off right now and leave on a high note, you know, where I'm laughing. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure if you're an artist, musician or whatever, you've devoted your life to any anything you know, architecture or, uh, you know, you know, pouring concrete, you know, whatever you've devoted your life to, you know, your spouse has to kind of tolerate, <laughs> you know, certain kinds of things. I mean, can you imagine for my wife when I proposed this idea for robot costumes, you know, and trust me, when I put these things on, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you poor girl, you know. I'm aware, honey. I'm aware that this is very weird. <laughs> Remember, you love me. You promised to love me. <laughs> and she does. She does. She's a good helper. She's a good one. So, oh boy. I'm tired. <laughs> I want to go to bed. But I can't. I got a lot of stuff to do today. Anyway, so... Until next time, folks, have a good weekend. Have a good week. You know, stay out of trouble. Don't work too hard and try, try, try to get some sleep. You know, try to get enough sleep. Um, and until next time, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. <laughs>